You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. Good morning, everyone. Feels a little bit like spring, but it's not, and it ain't going to be for a while. So we're going to find our joy in the Lord today. So I encourage you to pick up a Bible and open it to 1 Samuel chapter 16. There's uh, Bibles in the back of each sheet. If you don't own a Bible, we want you to take that one as our gift to you. But we want you to be in it. We're going to go verse by verse. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 14 to 23. We're continuing in our uh, winter series called King David, Like Us in Every Way. You know what I love? Uh, I love a good movie, and especially my family will tell you I love a good true story. If, if you can make a movie out of someone who's actually lived and tell his story or her story, I love those movies the best. One of the movies that I really love is a movie called Men of Honor. Anyone ever seen that movie? It's Cuba Goody Jr. and Robert De Niro. It came out about 20 years ago. And, and the story is a true story from 1948 uh, by a man, about a man uh, named Carl uh, Brasher and Master Chief Petty Officer William Sunday. And William Sunday is a World War II uh, Medal of Honor recipient, and he's also an alcoholic, and he's also quite a miserable man. And he runs the school. He's the chief uh, uh, enlisted officer at uh, the school for Navy divers. This is before scuba diving became recreational, uh, when they had the big suits on and they'd uh, go down and fix a ship. And uh, Carl, played by Cuba Goody, is uh, the first... A colored man to be accepted to the school, and it's a prestigious school, and nobody's ever made it through, and there's a lot of racism going on back in the 40s, uh, and, and so it's this, this coming, these two men, uh, one who is a miserable uh, drunk who's uh, risen to the heights of what the military has, and this other man who's got everything stacked against him, uh, who's hated by not only all the other students on the course, but by the instructors. William especially hates his guts, and he just brutalizes him uh, through the movie, and it just shows the, the horrible racism that they had back then. And, and so the story progresses, and, and he eventually makes it through and becomes the first colored man uh, to make it and, and rises through the ranks, whereas William, uh, who had risen to the ranks, his alcoholism eventually causes divorce, um, and he gets demoted uh, throughout. And, and the story comes together in a very interesting way uh, that this once man who William hated, Carl, at the bottom of uh, William's life, he comes alongside of him and he actually helps William find hope in his misery. And it's a beautiful story uh, for a lot of reasons. If you haven't seen it, um, I highly recommend it. Uh, but it shows that uh, even when a person suffers, even when a person is hated, uh, God can use them uh, to help a person, another person. In this case, a person who was absolutely miserable. Uh, and, and the one that he hated the most ended up being the one that brought him out of this place of misery and alcoholism. And God works in mysterious ways. His ways are not our ways, and, and we don't always like the way he does things when we follow him. 
And yet here we're going to see in these verses, uh, God used a man uh, to help a man come out of or relieve suf- um, a period, have a period of relief from his severe suffering. Let's pray. God, we pray that you can show us wherever we are that you can use us uh, to help people. Lord, there's a world of miserable people out there. And it only seems to be getting more dark and miserable. But all the darkness in the world cannot extinguish a single candle. And we, you say, are the lights that you are living through. And you want us to shine and bring relief to those who are suffering in misery. And and bring another option that they don't need to just live in this world of darkness. That they can come into the light God, would you help us? Would you help us to see that uh, no matter what we've got stacked against us, if you're with us, nothing can stop you from carrying out your plans in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. And so, verse 14 says, Now the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul, and an evil spirit sent from the Lord began to torment him. Just pause there. Now Saul is 59 or 60 years old. Um, He's been reigning for roughly 30 years at the time. And something very strange is said here. Now the, the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, has left him. And when, when we read that, and maybe you've read that before, there's a few questions that might roll around in your head. The first one being, uh, can a Christian lose the Spirit of God, i.e. their salvation? If the Spirit of God lives inside of a Christian, can there be a day when the Spirit of God leaves that person as he left Saul and never came back again? And the answer to that question is no. Uh, once you are a born-again Christian, once God's Spirit has uh, made you new, has, has saved you from your sin, when you have come to true faith and repentance in Jesus Christ, uh, he will not leave you. You may grieve him, you may hurt him, there may be conflict, but he will never leave you. Have you ever been to a cattle ranch? I used to live in Alberta for seven years. Um, And there, uh, I went to tour a buffalo ranch uh, because they make buffalo there and they make them into jerky. Um, But I went there and and they were showing me a brand. Uh, you, You know what I'm talking about when a brand, now they tag the cattle. But back then they would brand them and it had the family logo, I guess it was generations uh, that this farm had been around. And, and the idea is that they would take the brand, they would heat it up and, and they would uh, put their mark, their seal on the animal. That way if it was stolen or if it got lost, everyone would know who this cattle belongs to. And Ephesians tells us that uh, when you come to believing, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, when you, when you hear the message of truth, the gospel, and you believe the gospel, uh, and come to saving faith, uh, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit as a promise. And so think of that as a branding, that the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, comes to live inside of you. That's, that's what the Bible says, that he'll start to change you into the image of himself, and that you're sealed. And so you have a, an invisible mark on you that God sees that you're no longer covered in your sin, that now the Spirit of God lives inside of you. It says it's a pledge given to you so that you know you are adopted by the Father. It's a part of your inheritance, What one of th- the many things you will receive when you come to Christ. And so, uh, no, you cannot lose your salvation. So what's going on here? Uh, Well, we have to understand that God used to deal with people in the Old Testament differently than he deals with people uh, today. Judges chapters two and three, if you ever read them, it talks about how 
God would, uh, when he established Israel, he would, uh, when the people would call out to him, he would send uh, judges and he would, it says, his spirit would come and rest upon them and he would strengthen them for the task that they had, that was at hand. And it says that as long as the judge was following the Lord, the spirit of God would be on them. That's why in Judges chapter 16, we all know the story of Samson, right? Uh, God gives him supernatural strength to free them from the Philistines, but he gets wrapped up in his vices, right? I.e. women and lust. And, and so uh, when he tells Delilah the secret to, that he can't have his hair cut, to, the secret to his strength, uh, she cuts his hair and he wakes up in verse 20 and it says, I will escape as I did before, he tells himself. Uh, but he did not know, it says, that the Lord had left him. The spirit of the Lord had left him. That's not the way it is anymore, but that's what was happening to Saul. God had anointed him, and he was working in him, but eventually, because of Saul's rejection and disobedience and pride, the spirit of God had left him. The second question you might ask when you read that sentence is, why did the Lord send an evil spirit to harass Saul? It's kind of a scary concept. The Lord sent an evil spirit. Why? Well, the answer is, I don't know. I don't know because I'm not God. And there are some things we don't have answers to as to why God does specific things in specific cases that don't seem to be the way that he usually does things. Now, we know from the Bible that uh, he, God allowed Satan to test Job, to test his faith. Uh, to be an example to us and to show Satan that, no, there were some people that weren't just following God for protection and for wealth. We know that Jesus said, I'm holding Satan back from sifting you, Peter. That Satan wanted to have his way with Peter, but Jesus held them back. We know that uh, God allowed Satan to enter Judas after Judas had determined to betray him. So why do these things happen? I don't exactly know. Uh, Theologians would say uh, that their best guess as to why God would allow, send an evil spirit is that he was so disgusted with Saul's pride and behavior that this was his punishment. Others would say uh, this was Saul's way to know, he was, he was trying to show Saul that I'm no longer with you, relinquish the kingship to another. Verse 15 goes on to say, so Saul's servant said to him, you see, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Well, you know, let's just pause there. That's an interesting thought, that they could see that God was no longer with them. Not that God was no longer with them, that God was against him. Have you ever seen yourself videotaped? One of the weird things about being a pastor is now they videotape uh, the messages, right? And, and whereas 100 years ago they didn't do that, sometimes I'll watch myself and I'll be like, oh man, do I really sound like that? Do I really look like that? What a weirdo. Like that's the way. Have you ever watched yourself on video and you're like, oh man, I can't believe that, right? You may see a picture of yourself, right? Uh, 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 2D picture of yourself, or you may look in a mirror, but that doesn't really give you the full image of yourself as, as if you watch yourself on a video camera for amount of time. And, and you know what? That's kind of the way it is in life. We usually see ourselves in a 2D form, right? We, we look in the mirror, and, and, or we see a picture, and we kind of think of ourselves, oh, I'm not that bad, or I'm not that weird. Uh, but when you watch yourself on a video, it's much different. And that can be the way we, we see ourselves. We maybe don't see what other people see, uh, and 
when we're talking about the emotional and we're talking about the spiritual, right? Because people, everyone sees us differently than we see ourselves. They always get the 3D. You get the 2D, right? So people will often see, oh, you know, you notice that person walks differently or, or you notice that person's mannerisms or the way they talk, right? But people can also see a lot of the times before you can even notice, oh, that person's got a lot of hurt inside of them, or that person is really bitter about something, or, or that person seems to be walking far away from the Lord. Often we are the last people to know what everyone else sees, and it appears that everyone else sees that Saul is in a bad state, for Saul's true state was he was without the Lord. And you know, that reminds us that we always want to, I got three things for you to help keep us uh, in a humble form. Is one that we never want to be above healthy criticism. If you find yourself in a place where you won't listen to anyone's criticism, I'm talking about healthy criticism. I'm not talking about people who just put everyone down and are always looking to nitpick about every little detail of your life. I'm talking about someone that you know genuinely cares. We never want to be above healthy criticism. If we do, and if we are, if we're easily offended by anything anyone will say to us, we probably have a pride problem. Now, one of our elders, and I, and I love our elders, he, he, he pointed out something to me a number of months ago before I went on sabbatical. He said, uh, Ben, you're so tired out that you've become cynical. And, and I didn't really recognize that, but it's true. And, and at first, I didn't like to hear it, but it was true, and because he had the courage to say it to me and I, had, and I could reflect on it, I was like, yeah, I am becoming cynical, and that's not a good place to be. And so we need to be able to have people approach us. Another thing is we want to develop a, a, a habit of seeking healthy feedback. You want to go and ask people, uh, you know, how do you think I'm doing in this area? Uh, you want honest feedback, but sometimes you've got to seek it out because people are nervous in our society and they're afraid because we're so easily offended in this society that people are nervous to give healthy feedback. So you need to seek it out for yourself. And one of the best people to do that if you're married is your spouse. Uh, Rebecca is is excellent at helping me see where my weaknesses are and I need to go to her and even though I might not like it at start it's usually always good for me because I know she loves me maybe you have a sibling maybe you have a good friend that can be there maybe it can be one of your adult children or sometimes it's your children that point out your flaws but seek it out number three don't let Christians other Christians don't let people walk off the cliff brothers and sisters you need to not be afraid to go to people when you see a person going towards a cliff, emotionally, physically, uh, spiritually, you need to go in and try and intervene. Maybe they're not going to listen to you, but maybe they are, and maybe you, God could use you to help keep that person from destroying their life. Verse 16, let our Lord command your servants here in your presence to look for someone who knows how to play the lyre. Whenever an evil spirit from God comes to you, that person can play the lyre and you will feel better. So what's a lyre? Well, that's like, think of a little harp, maybe this big. Uh, that's what a lyre is. And lyres date back into ancient times. Uh, archaeologists have found them dating back to 14... Uh, 1400 BC, so that's 400 years before David. In the Greek culture, they used them a lot. Genesis 4 verse 21 talks about it. The first person who played instrumentally was the great, 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 uh, great grandson of Adam, Joab. 
uh, who was the first, it says, to play the lyre and the flute. And people of ancient culture believed that the lyre and music uh, would soothe the emotions, would heal mental illness, and would hold violence in check. When they played music, they believed it would create a a tranquil atmosphere for peace. And so uh, in this case, that's what they recommend because they can see he's depressed and harassed. And what's neat is, is God is gonna use something that David has perfected in his years of living in the wilderness while he sang simple worship songs to God. He's gonna use that to relieve somebody's suffering because God is a God who is merciful. Verse 17, then Saul commanded his servants, find me someone who plays well and bring him to me. So let's just pause there because this, this is really the main thrust of what I want you to get today. Now we we got to understand what's going on here. Saul is, is in that crisis time in his life. Uh, he's like a man trying to stem the tide with pebbles. What do I mean by that? Well, when I was a kid, when kids used to play outside, when kids used to get together with other kids in the, uh, in the community and they go play somewhere, remember those days? Uh, well, I used to get together with a guy named Michael and a guy named Curtis that lived on my street. And we lived on the edge of London and back then it was the edge, but now it's been swallowed up by the town. And we used to go out into the farmer's areas um, and we'd bike to this creek and this creek would uh, empty into a marsh. And we would catch frogs and crayfish. And what we, one of the things we'd love to do is to dam up the stream. And we'd use rocks, right? And if you've ever done that as a kid, you know that as many rocks as you pile in, the water will find a way through, right? You need more than rocks to stop the water. And, and in a way, Saul is just trying to figure out a way to block the havoc and the destruction that is coming onto his life. But it isn't going to be good enough. So he's like, yeah, yeah, anything, anything. I'll, I'll do whatever. Just go find me somebody that'll relieve me from this current suffering. But here's the thing. God had multiple times before this period told Saul what the problem was. He had told him back in chapter 13, Saul, I made you king. You've turned against me consistently and done what is evil. I am removing you as king and raising somebody else up. Saul knew this, and yet Saul wouldn't relinquish the kingdom. Have you ever noticed that? God told him what was going to happen. He told him that at that point, he was no longer his king, yet Saul held on for another 13 years. Which leads me to my first uh, major point, is that Saul could have humbled himself and relieved, received uh, relief from his suffering. Because as I study the character of God in the Bible, the whole counsel of God, that's why we need to look at the whole Bible to see God's character. I see that he desires to show grace and mercy to those who will humble themselves. Regardless of what they've done, regardless of their past, he's forgiven some pretty big stuff. And I want you to just imagine, because I imagine in my mind that what if Saul had said, okay, okay, Lord, you've told me I'm no longer the king. You've told me I, I no longer have your blessing. I can see it in my life. I'm going to give up the kingdom. And I'm gonna give it over to the person that you have said is going to inherit. And I'm gonna serve them to the best of my ability because I know I have lost the kingdom. 
Can you imagine if Saul had done that? Uh, I'm pretty sure, and I, I can't say it for sure, but I'm pretty sure of studying the God of the Bible that God would have shown him mercy. And maybe he would have allowed him to live out his days not in, in chaos and destruction and not be nailed to, a, to the wall, which he would be someday, but live his life enjoying his grandchildren. And that should be a lesson to us. That God is always willing, no matter how far down the road we get, no matter how far we've walked away from him or we've never been with him, he's always willing to meet us where we are and show us grace and mercy if we are willing to humble ourselves. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Oh, what does grace mean? Grace means unmerited favor. It means God is offering you favor that you have not earned nor will ever deserve. And Saul certainly didn't deserve it. But I believe it could have been offered. But Saul just could not humble himself. And because of that, it leads to his destruction. That's why God says, or Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you in the proper time. And all the destruction and the heartache, the countless tears that I have seen in people's lives and that Saul would experience and his family would experience just because he would not humble himself. And for me, Saul has always been a tragic character. Like, I've grieved for Saul as a person because I've come a lot across a lot of Sauls in my life, more than I wish, men and women who, who are kind of like Saul. Uh, you know, Saul had the most prestigious position in the kingdom. He would have had the most wealth in the kingdom, and he had the most power in the kingdom, and yet he was empty and miserable. And you get that? And we run into people all the time who have money, position, and power, and yet they're miserable. And it's a tragic thing to see because so much of it could have been relieved if this man would have just humbled himself before the Lord. Like David one day would when he was caught in the very kind of same situation and God said, you're gonna lose the kingdom now. And he says, oh God, against you and you alone, I have sinned. And God gave him grace. And that same grace is always available for you and I. Verse 18 one of the young men answered him, I have, seen this, uh, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is also a valiant man, a warrior, eloquent, handsome, and the Lord is with him. So notice what's going on in the last like two or three years since David has been anointed. Uh, he has gained a reputation in the community. That's a pretty neat thing. Wouldn't you love to have that sort of reputation? Oh, what do people say about you in your community? Oh, well, he or, or she is a, a valiant person, a, a warrior, eloquent, a handsome or beautiful. And the Lord, that's the most important part. And the Lord is with him. In the background of society, he has gained a reputation of that which Saul used to have, that the Lord is with him. And so remember, it's been three, two or three years since that point when David was anointed and then the Holy Spirit came strongly upon him. And everyone is seeing it. He's overflowing with the Spirit of God. It's better than being rich. It's better than having power. It's better than having momentary pleasures, being an overflowing vessel of the Lord. 
I was out for a run earlier this week, uh, and at this time of the year in Port Sydney, if you've ever been down to the rapids, it's beautiful if you've never been there. Uh, at this time of the year, they're overflowing. The rapids are just overflowing uh, with water, and there's so much power in it. And I stopped, and I was, I was just, because that's the time I reflect on the Lord, and I don't have any music in. I just listen and, and talk to him, and I said, oh, Lord, how I so wants you to overflow out of me like that water is overflowing those dams, that, that you would just spill out of me into those around me. And that should be the desire of us because that's what seemed to be happening in David's life. Verse 19, then Saul dispatched messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David who is with the sheep. Another thing to notice about David is After he got anointed, he went back to serving in the way that he always had. He he knew God had made him a promise, and and if we read his writings, he knew God was faithful in his promises. And that should be a reminder to us, uh, sometimes we have to wait for God's promises. We live in a society that wants it now. Give it to me now, God. But that's not the way God always works. Sometimes God says, I've made some promises to you but you need to wait patiently for them as I bring them about. And while you're waiting patiently, serve faithfully where you are. And that's what David did. He went back to serving his ungrateful father, looking after the stubborn, stinky sheep in the wilderness. And yet he served the Lord faithfully. And so then it says in verse 20, so Jesse took a donkey and loaded it with bread and a wineskin and a young goat and sent it with his son, David, to Saul. You know, Jesse is, he's an interesting guy. He's a blind parent. And God help me if I'm ever this blind with my children. Uh, You notice Jesse, uh, when David was anointed, Jesse and his sons, and probably their mom and maybe their sisters, and Samuel were the only people there for the anointing. Right, because they would have all been killed if Saul had gotten word that David had been anointed as king. And yet this father can't seem to see the value in his son. Where did he send the future king? Back out to the field to look after the sheep. So much so that when he gets the message, send me, the king has just said, imagine the king or the the prime minister uh, sent for your child. You just get a knock on the door. Uh, yeah, can you send your uh, son or your daughter uh, because the leader of this country has heard about it? You'd be like, whoa, this is amazing. Wow. And he should have known it was going to happen because he was there during the anointing. Yet, what does he do? He loads up all his best food, uh, wine and, and a, a goat and bread, and he sends it as a gift to Saul. Did Saul ask for all these things? Nope. Saul asked for his son. The son who, since the anointing, has been out looking after the sheep, not getting any extra attention from dad. And and so Saul seems to think that he needs to send extra gifts when the king just asked for his son. You know, we see throughout the life of David that Jesse seemed to be a guy who didn't really see what God saw in David. And sometimes we can be blind to what God wants to do in our children. 
Sometimes we can be looking at our children, oh, you've got to achieve what the world says is important. You've got to look a certain way. You've got to uh, achieve a certain amount of awards. You, you've got to be what the world says. And if we don't, if they don't, I mean, then we don't value them as much as God values them. And we need to be looking at our children's characters. Above anything else, we need to be looking at, lifting up, praising our children for their characters, for who they are inside. That's what we need to be, to be uh, praying will come to life in our children, more than their awards, more than their jobs, more than how much money they earn, because that's what God is looking for. And, and Jesse had a wonderful son, but he couldn't seem to see it. He only seemed to focus on his older children. And so let our children know when they grow up that my mother or my father loves me and that they're going to love me regardless of whether I'm a garbage man or I'm a famous athlete. And if we can give them that, we demonstrate to them the love of Christ who loves us even in our failures, who loves us regardless of what we do in the world, but for who we are. We're his followers. Verse 21, when David came to Saul and entered into his service, Saul loved him very much, and David became his armor bearer. Now, David is going to learn the first essential skill of leadership, which is service. Good leaders, effective leaders, are servants first. I don't think anything sh anyone should ever go into a leadership position until they have served others and served under other kinds of leadership. Because when you're serving people, especially somebody like Saul, who's not a very nice person probably to be around, and we'll see that later in his life, the way he treats David, you learn how to treat people. And, and people tend to either go one way. They go like uh, the leader, the poor leader, and they treat people like garbage, or they decide, you know what, I'm not going to be like that person. And so David is now going to spend the next 10 years or so serving a pretty hard-to-love person. And yet in that, God is going to use him to relieve his misery. And we never want to underestimate what God can uh, use from our past in the present. You may be in a place in your life right now and you're like, I'm doing nothing, nothing of value. And yet God is going to use David's singing and writing abilities to bring relief to the king. That's a pretty amazing thing. You ever thought when David was out in the, uh, the wilderness and he's just sitting there and it's another night and he's watching the sheep and ma ma and he's writing songs, love songs to the Lord that he would think someday God is going to use me to minister to the king? No, he would have never thought that. And, and you might be going through things in your life right now or just living what you would see as a very dull life, but God wants to use that later for something for his glory. And so... Then he says in verse 22, Saul sent word to Jesse. So it's been some time now, a period of time has passed. Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor with me. Whenever the spirit of the, from God came to Saul, David would pick up his lyre and play. And Saul would then be relieved and feel better. And the evil spirit would depart him. Last point is that music has great power to minister. We would think that because worship, music, is such an integral part of our service, but I don't think we really get that. Because I think in North America, over the last 70 or 80 years, we've kind of lost track of that. We often think worship is more about us than it is about God. And the opposite is true. Worship is about God 
and not really about us. And so we'll go to churches or we'll church shop or we'll leave churches and that's, that place is playing those new songs. I don't want to hear those new songs. They're not what I like. Or, oh, that place is just plays a bunch of uh, old songs and I don't really like that because it's not my flavor, right? And that's the kind of attitude we have now when we search for a church. But you know what a church sounded like 100 years ago? What most churches sounded like? Just a bunch of regular people, most of which who have horrible voices, like me, singing praises to a God they love. And that's the point. That's what worship is. A bunch of regular people singing together in unity for a God they love. Do you know that Revelation uh, 14.3 says, uh, this is in heaven, uh, that they, we, the Christians who are are with him in eternity, will sing a new song before the throne. A new song. You mean I won't hear Hillsong and I won't hear the old rugged cross? Well, I don't know. Maybe you'll hear it, but it doesn't really matter because you won't have a choice in what kind of worship music is there. It's going to be the Lord's music, and you're going to be so overwhelmed with God that I'm with God forever, and I'm experiencing his love that you're just going to belt out songs of praises and joy, and it's going to be different than any of us think. But God loves music so much that he determined the largest book in his book of books, the Bible, would be a book of songs, psalms. That's songs. Right? That's the biggest book in the Bible. Uh, Martin Luther, uh, the father of the Reformation, said that he didn't believe the Reformation would be complete until every uh, Christian had a Bible in their own language and a hymnal. And, and a hymnal would be like a book of music, of worship to the Lord. And through music, God uses grace. He, he delivers grace to those around him. I remember when I was back living in Kitchener and going to school, I pulled up to the stoplights somewhere and there was this woman, she had the windows down and she was just belting out praises to the Lord. She didn't give a hoot what anyone thought. And I just thought, wow, there's a person who has received the grace of God and is just so in love with Jesus. It's just amazing. The joy was just spilling out of her and people are looking at her. She didn't care. And if I could get close to her, I couldn't get close to her. I'd say, yeah, amen, sister. <clears throat> but but that's, that's what we should be doing. Have you ever just driven down the, uh, the road or cranked up the worship tunes in your house and just praised God? Thank you, God, for what you've done in me. That's what music can do, bring joy into your heart. And through music, misery is relieved. That's what God is gonna use David to do in Saul's life, relieve him of his constant misery. That was strategic of God. Don't miss that. God sent the demon, sent the, uh, the evil spirit, and he sent the answer to that evil spirit. Grace was available for Saul. G. Campbell Morgan uh, said, the book of Psalms is a book which the emotions of the human soul find expression. Whatever your mood, and I suppose you have changing moods as I, do I, I can find you a psalm that will help express it. Are you glad? I'll find you a psalm that you can sing. Are you sad? I can find you a psalm that'll suit that occasion. The psalms range over the whole gamut of human emotions, and they were written for us in the consciousness and the presence of Almighty God. Have you ever just been at such a low point and you turn to the psalms and you find comfort? That's what David, he he wrote his emotions. He wrote his joys in the Lord, and he wrote his 
uh, sorrows in the Lord, but everything in the Psalms points back to the Lord, and that's what is great about worship. And through music, God is magnified, and that's the point of worship. And so when you come here on Sundays, it's to magnify, to, to hold up, to, to, to look, to examine just how great of a God we serve. And that's what God desires of us. And when we do that, we're filled with his spirit and we're given supernatural hope. And God's spirit, it's like God's spirit gets excited inside of us and he gives us what we need for the day. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.